What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A license football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Hey everyone, we're back again. This is episode 115 of the Coaches Network podcast, and boy, I'm still pinching myself because I can't believe we made it this far. So, but you know, we're still here, still going strong and delivering the goods. A shout out to everyone that's been on the journey so far. And today we've got the latest instalment of the Insight series. And I probably sound like a broken record by now, but honestly, none of this would be possible without you guys, especially those that are listening each and every week, and more so those that are letting us know how they're finding it, whether that be good or bad. You know, we're here for that feedback, and words can't describe enough how much my team and I truly appreciate you guys. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, guys, the feedback that we get, whether that be via Apple Podcasts or through other means, is truly invaluable for us. So please keep coming with that feedback. Um, and on that note, I'm going to take a moment to read one of the latest reviews. And this one is from Robbie Spencer. Rob, shout out to you for this. Um, Rob says, some great content on this podcast, giving coaches at all, all levels an insight into so many facets of the game. Highly recommended to anyone wanting to develop themselves in coaching or in life. Rob, I appreciate you, bro. Much love for that five-star review. And to everyone that's left one in the past and still leaving, don't worry. I promise I will get around to getting you guys on the show leaving your reviews reading your reviews out so please keep keep dropping those reviews whether that be on apple podcast but if you if you're not listening to us on apple feel free to drop me a dm on instagram at the coaches network or on twitter at the coaches net but rob shout out to you bro thanks again for the review i need to get you on that podcast soon man we're gonna get it done finally guys a big shout out to everyone who's been getting in touch regarding the coach mentoring i'm pleased to announce there is a couple spaces left on the one-to-one mentoring program that i'm running and if you want to find out more about that just drop me a dm and we can set up a free consultation so we can see how best I can add value to your, to your journeys. Lastly, guys, you know, you probably wanted to get to today's episode. So my guest for today's episode is none other than Alex Tini. Alex is an academy coach who works full-time with Tottenham Hotspur. Alex and I actually met on our master's degree program, which we're still working hard to finish in the next couple months. So Alex, we got this, bro. We're going to keep pushing, get this over the line, man. And then on to bigger and better things. But enough of all that, guys. Enjoy the show today take notes let me know your thoughts good or bad until next time guys have a great day and a phenomenal week take care right guys welcome back to the coaches network my name is coach yasin i've got a very special guest for me this morning my guest this morning is alessandro catini how you doing alessandro hi yes yeah good mate um thanks for having me on brilliant alex thanks for joining me man um, just a quick one for those that aren't familiar with you then, um, Alex, do you mind just giving a brief backdrop around what you do right now? Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Alex Catini, um, as you said, uh, currently working uh, full-time for, for Tottenham Hotspur um, across a few of their different programmes. So um, currently lead on the under-10s in the academy, um, but also work across um, the pre-academy group, so under eight through to around the under 13 slash 14s um, with the academy groups. 
um, and also do a little bit of delivery on our, our global program, <clears throat> excuse me, which looks at um, sort of some of the, the domestic and international partners that, that the club has. Awesome. Alex, you know, you've got a wealth of experience. You know, we, you know, we've spoken off here as well about some of the, some of the uh, I guess, experience that we've had together and you know, some of the differences we've uh, shared on that. Just want to take you back to your start, start of your coaching journey then. Um, would you mind just telling us and, you know, a few examples around what your first experiences were into the coaching space and what it was about coaching uh, maybe caught your eye? Yeah, sure. So, um Probably, probably quite a traditional route in terms of, of those of us who, who haven't um, played the game. Um, and when I mean play the game, I mean have played the game at a professional level. So um, I was an academy player till I was 18. Um, probably took my first coaching session um, at 16. Um, and that was a very um, general kind of approach to what would sort of be like, you know, after school clubs, um, a little bit around summer camps and, and things like that. And, and the reason for that was because we were actually being put through our, our FA level one at the time, um, the, the old school level one, which, which meant you had to practically apply and also, um, you know, consolidate your learning. Um, and then when I was released, I, I, I played some semi-pro stuff for a little while before eventually heading off to uni. Um, where I, I played in, in the uni team for uh, four years. And I guess that's where I probably, you know, met my early influences in my coaching career. So those were two, two guys, one, one called Tom Lloyd, who um, currently heads up his own um, football programme in, in, in Portsmouth. And another one who was Bruce Saracci, who was a friend of mine, but also my university coach at the time. Um, and he he was um, a, an aspiring young coach and he's actually gone on now to become the head of coaching at, at Bournemouth. So he's in a quite a prestigious role. But those two were my, were my main influences and they they probably got me thinking about the game uh, away from simply just playing it. Um, and I started to then pick up some more coaching hours working for, for Tom um, at his, his soccer school um, on a Saturday. And it was through that that I was then put through my FA level two. Um, that was probably at the age of around about 20. So again, still still not probably immersed fully into the, the coaching world. This was all very, um, you know, very sporadic in terms of hours. It was predominantly grassroots players. Um, obviously, a pay-to-play model on a Saturday morning where you would get, you know, drop-ins, clinics. Um, and then from, from there, I did that for, for a couple of years. Um, and it was probably then where I really started to get, like, the bug for it and uh, started to sort of fall in love with that coaching aspect and the challenges that that presents. Um, I then decided when I, when I graduated to stay down um, in Portsmouth and I, I coached the university team for, for 18 months, which was where I was able to get onto my B licence. Um, and that, that was a huge learning curve in terms of uh, the structure and the, the application of the coaching practice to 11 v 11 football. Um, but again, still, still not, you know, anywhere near working at a pro club or being involved in academy football and all those things. This was still um, very much part of my my learning journey. I was still 21 at this time um, or, or 22. Um, went away um, when I when I came back from Portsmouth, came back to London, obviously where I was living at the time with my mum my and dad. Uh, ended up going out to the States for a year. 
So I coached in, in Boston, in Massachusetts for, for a year, huge, huge learning curve, um, a huge pay to play model over there. Loads of issues that arise from that dealing with parents, um, you know, the, the politics of, of a football club in the States is, is huge. Um, <clears throat> but also being exposed to real different environments and circumstances again. So ranging from working with sort of like U6s all the way up to like U18s, um, a real, real broad spectrum of player ability. Um, returned back to England after a year, um, did a little bit of observation and shadowing at Brentford just before they um, sort of decided to pull the plug on their academy setup. Um, got myself a job working in a, in a school, so in a PE department for, for four years. So again, you know, not, not particularly um, coaching as such in terms of football specific, but being around that, that learning environment, lesson structure, dealing with a variety of different abilities, differentiation, all those sorts of things. Um, before eventually then getting in touch with, with somebody at Spurs um, who allowed me in, a, in an observational capacity. I observed there for, for six months, um, free, free of charge, you know, just going in, taking notes, watching and observing from the, the academy staff um, before getting given one evening a week. Um, and then over the last, this is the end, this, this will be the end of my seventh year, you know, including this, the year we lost with the pandemic. Um, but then working from one evening a week up to, to essentially the position that I am now. So a whole host of experiences um, starting from, from very young in terms of coaching age um, and birth age up to where I am now. So, you know, 30 now. So that's sort of coming up to 13 to 14 years of, of a coaching journey. No, you know, to have that many years of you at such a young age uh, in comparison, you know, these basically the best this part of your half your life for like you know coaching yeah. um you know a range of different experiences that obviously you, know, you talk about your work at Tottenham at the, at the moment I'm just curious to know that maybe um what what, what does that look like you know on a day-to-day -day? and you know there's a lot of people that are probably going to be listening to this and you know I've, I've had many guests on and you know many different uh, guests working at different levels in different environments um I think it's always good for the listeners and the viewers that maybe aren't too familiar with it to understand a little bit more about the context and what the environment looks like. You know, we, we have so many coaches out there that wanted to maybe step into the world of academy football, but is it as glamorous as it always seems? I'm not too sure. Um, you know, I'm sure, you know, from your experience, I know certainly from mine, it's not, it, it, it definitely is not as glamorous as it always seems. There's always, there's also a lot of uh, stuff that goes on behind the scenes that coaches don't want anything to do with. And I'm sure, I'm sure you can uh, share experiences on that. Do you mind just maybe sharing a bit around that then in your, in your context and what that looks like for you on a day-to-day? -day? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think you've made some real valid points, yes, on on the the academy football is almost, you know, this this holy grail of, of uh, the coaching journey and it's, you know, where everyone wants to be. And, you know, I think just touching back on, on my experience is it, you know, for those young, if there's any, you know, not, not to come across as condescending, but, you know, any, any younger coaches who have, you know, just maybe passed the B licence or, or whatever it may be, you know, I, I was like this. I, I thought my, you know, I thought I got ticked off on the B licence in, in uh, June 2013. And I thought, right, here we go, you know, party time straight in an, an academy. And uh, it's very much not the case. So it does take a, a, a long while. It takes a lot of luck. You know, you need to be in the right place at the right time. You need to, 
you know, offer up your services sometimes, as I've mentioned, voluntarily. Um, but, you know, in terms of, of what it looks like, going back to your original question, it, it's, it's intense. Um, there's a lot of responsibility. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. The actual practical delivery of it is, is the best part. You know, it's the part that we all love doing. It's the part that we all thrive off. You know, you know, I'm very fortunate that I work with, you know, my, my group has has 20 players in it. They're arguably 20 of the best players in in the south of, of England, if not across the whole of the country. Um, so that part is, is excellent. That's three nights a week. So we have, you know, COVID permitting, of course, we have we have three sessions a week. So uh, three sessions of contact time, um, but also a game day on a on a weekend. Um that includes your planning, your evaluation stuff, um, your PMA, which I think, <laughs> I think for uh, for any academy coaches listening, that PMA is the bane of our lives. Um, that's essentially for those who aren't familiar with it, like a, a database of information that that is captured on the players in relation to positions they play across game days. Um, what they've experienced through contact time they've had. So what the practices percentages look like across the year. Um, but again, it's, you know, there's, there's so many things that are, they crisscross over for anyone who's listening, who, who, who works, you know, as, as a grassroots coach um, or, or a grassroots team manager, you know, a lot of the stuff is, is mirrored. You know, we have to liaise with the parents a lot. We have to make sure that um, people know venues, addresses of fixtures, um, we have to organise Christmas meetings, end of season meetings. You have to be available for parent interaction. You know, a lot of parents want to know how their kids are getting on. Um, it's a very, very competitive environment. You know, they, there's a lot of um, a lot of parents who, who you know, they want to know at every moment, you know, how their child's progressing. And of course, it's their child. But, you know, at times you can also, you know, you think to yourself, well, you only asked me that four days ago. You know, like there's, there's not been any real significant growth in the last four days. Um, so, yeah, there are, there's there's a, a whole host of, of, of good points, um, but it's also very physically demanding, um, you know, and then alongside that, you've got um, the environment itself um, where, you know, if fixtures don't go a particular way for certain age groups, you have to deal with the, the, um, the environment and the atmosphere and know kind of who, who was involved with those things. There's, there's a whole host of things that you have to juggle daily. Um, but, you know, like I said, it goes back to the main point. I, I, I love it. I, I love working with, with the players I, I'm fortunate enough to work with um, and, and the challenges that that presents as well. So I'm going to take you back for your journey a little bit now. You know, you talked there about, you know, what it's like to work in the academy and more specifically at Spurs. Um, but I want to take you back a few years now. You, know, you talked there also about going abroad, spending time out in the States. What's the major differences that you saw in terms of the climate? Obviously, it's been a few years, but in terms of what the coaching environments and the expectations were over there as opposed to what it is over here? Yeah, uh, a real eye-opener for me. So as I mentioned, I, I went there when I was um, 23. So I'm um, still relatively young um, in coaching age and also in, in birth age, you know, by coaching age, I mean the amount of years I've been actually practically delivering. Um, America is huge on, on sport um, and the, the sport plays a huge part within their society. 
Um, however, you know, coming from from a, a British, you know, British culture and the FA messages and all those things about player development and, and developing environments and all those things. For me, the the biggest the biggest challenge I faced was was managing the parents and managing the expectations of the parents. Um, you know, who who deemed success to be um, based on a scoreline at, at the end of the game. Um, as opposed to you know the, the development of, of the individuals of, of the players that were involved, um, as I mentioned previously, there's a there's a pay to play model in the states, which you know the figures are astronomical. Um, you know grassroots teams here, I'm, I'm not sure what they cost nowadays, but they're 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 quite affordable. They try to be affordable for most to get participation up. Whereas you know in the states, you're talking about you know three and a half to to four thousand dollars. Um, per season, um, which is, you know, probably about six or seven months worth of football. Um, so there's a sense of entitlement definitely from the parents because of that, you know, they're paying a lot of money. It's coming out of their pocket. So they, they feel like they're allowed to have input and control. Um, and of course they're allowed input, you know, that you're, you're ultimately coaching their, their sons and their daughters, but it's about managing the balance between where they think, the, where the line is, you know, where's the border in terms of our, I'm in charge of the team, I'm the coach, you know, you are a parent, I fully need your support, I fully accept your views, your opinions. However, you know, I, I am the one who's in charge. So that was a huge, um, a huge learning curve for me. That was the first time that I'd dealt directly with that um, in terms of having a team and actually managing emotions of of parents I always you know coached in a um, a very informal setting like I mentioned like almost like dropping clinics where you'd get you know any random eight to ten players every Saturday who would would turn up so so that was huge um, I also felt like when I got there I inherited um, the culture that had been set before me um, in terms of perhaps what they had deemed previously to be the right way. Um, you know, soccer, quite a young sport in the US. Um, so, you know, a lot of what had been laid previously, um, in my opinion anyway, wasn't correct. So I had to almost kind of like unsew that and try and almost um, get everyone on side and, and kind of undo the foundations of what I believe was, was wrong beforehand. No, definitely. I think, you know, you're talking about, I guess, the the ownership piece for the parents because they feel like they've invested so much, you know, they want to mm. kind of have a little, a little bit more control, if you like. I guess on that, on that then, you know, what are some of the ways in which you can kind of break that down and overcome that? Because it is a difficult one, because especially if it's a pay-to-play organisation, it's largely run as a business, essentially, isn't it? And it's about finding the right balance in terms of, right, yes, it is a business, but we still have a... a uh, you know, some principles or some fundamentals or some values that we want to kind of instill uh, and want to stand by, if you like. Yeah, it's tough, really tough. Um, you know, I touched upon it previously about, you know, politics. Before I worked in football, you'd always say, oh, there's football politics, there's football politics. And you just, you just brush it off and, you know, what you're talking about, politics and football, the two don't go hand in hand. But then when you start to work in a club environment, you know, you, you realise that, um, you know, at times you have to almost sort of... Um, you know, conform to it because I remember what one, one occasion that stuck really clearly in my mind, I had um, a boy in my team who this was a U15 boys team and they were not, they weren't a bad side. They needed some guidance. They needed some structure. Um, they needed, you know, some, some direction. 
Um, and I had, I had a decent set of players actually. Um, but what I had was in my group, I had, you know, town soccer over there is huge. Um, you know, it's a big, uh, part of their, their soccer structure. And I actually had the president's son of one of the towns in my team. And, and he was the president of the town soccer club. And it was a really, um, you know, financially wealthy area. Um, and I remember having a situation where he approached the club's owner and he said, you know, Alex isn't playing my son or Alex isn't, um, I think his words were, he's not starting my son. But I had an equal playing time model where whether they started or not, they all played equal time across the season. And it might have been in tournament format, they maybe started more games or not, but in the fixture and the following, you know, it was, I juggled it, but I made sure they all got minutes um, and they played across, you know, two, two sort of main positions. And I remember having to juggle this situation really carefully because I had, you know, my own, my own ideas and my own beliefs, but I also had the, the, the club's owner pretty much saying to me, like, you need to get this kid in the team. Because if he pulls the plug, he's going to cost the club, you know, he could, this could cost the club X amount of thousand dollars in, in sponsorship funds. So it's a really hard one because obviously you understand it from, from both points of view. And I think, you know, that was, again, was a real eye opener to football or the footballing world, you know, in, in terms of moving through into, you know, professional football, that stuff still happens. You know, you've got agents that hold power and you've got, you know, managers that have to, you know, I remember only remember a few years back where, you know, I used to think that the manager was time wasting in, in the 92nd minute when they bring someone on. And I actually found out that it was due, due to appearance fees and they'd have to bring them on because it would cost that player X amount of thousand pounds if they didn't get them on. And I think, you know, this is all part of the learning journey is how having to, to manage so many different things whilst trying to stay true to your own beliefs and, and what your values and principles are. No, you, you think you make some great points there, Alex, you know, and I think, you know, looking at it, even just as a, a something that probably isn't considered often, that little example that you shared there about, you know, players being brought on just to kind of, uh, if you like, um, find a way around some of the loopholes or, or tick the boxes, if you like, in certain areas, just to kind of, you know, for different reasons. So I guess, you know, you know you've, you've had those experiences there, you know, you've obviously come back to the UK and, you know, you had a range of experience here. You know, you talk about maybe getting an opportunity, maybe to, oversee and maybe spectate a little bit and observe in, in, in the academy in the initial stages it's not as simple as that though um, I'm sure you can you know I'm sure you, I'm sure you you know you'd agree um, it's not as simple as just contacting a club and saying yeah can I come in because you know these clubs are probably very selective and very um, yeah selective is probably the best word about who they let in and who they don't let in into their environments for different reasons and it could be the timing of the year it could be the timing in the person that you've spoken to that maybe doesn't have the right authority to allow, allow that sort of opportunity so what would you say to maybe coaches who are looking for that opportunity to kind of get into the environment um, and how they maybe go about navigating that? Is there a, is there a specific route that you'd, you'd recommend for them? Or? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I consider myself very fortunate that, you know, again, it goes back to that right place, right time, a little bit of luck, you know, lucky break, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, face fits, you're the, you're the right person at that right moment in time and all that sort of stuff, you know, them, them cliches that you hear. Um, my, my advice would be that it would be to, well, a few things really, you know, my, again, I was quite naive with this respect. You know, I go back to, I said it earlier, you know, as soon as my B license was ticked off, I thought, you know, here we go, 
keys to the kingdom time. You know, I'll go and take my pick from whichever club I wanted to work at and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So it's really not as simple as that. You've got to build a whole range of, of, of experiences. Um, it won't just happen overnight for, for 90% of, of people, you know, for the lucky 10% who, you know, are able to get that access without perhaps doing the mileage previously. That's for, you know, other reasons, you know, usually they're, they're ex-players or, you know, they're, 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 you know, relatives or friends of, of other people, you know, in football, that sort of stuff that we, we hear every day. Um, one of the big ones that, that got me through the door was, was my CV in terms of that whole variety of experience, you know, that particularly, um, that was particularly appealing to the foundation phase lead at the time, um, who, who actually liked the fact that I'd, you know, worked previously in, in both primary and secondary education, um, a little bit of playing experience myself, but again, you know, not a professional level, but still, you know, an okay footballer, um, the Saturday morning staff, the after school clubs, the half term staff, the PPA cover, um, the birthday parties, all those things, you know, work, working in the US, all those things built a collective package. And, and I always try, you know, I get contacts on LinkedIn quite a lot about, you know, what can I do to, to get to where you are? And it's quite a flattering question, really. But, you know, I really want to emphasize the fact that you've got to do a lot to get in the door. And that's really important. Um, on top of that, I would just talk about, you know, being, um, consistent with your, you know, the amount of times that I got no reply back to, to emails, like just, you know, and I was <laughs> laugh about it now, like probably shows the, on one hand, a little bit of desperation, but on the other hand, almost a little bit of, um, you know, how, how much I wanted to do it. I think was, you've got the initiative sometimes, don't you, Alex? You've got, you've got yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, you know, it's, if, every, if it was that easy, everyone would do it. And if everyone could just go down the oh. convention route and be given an opportunity, then everyone would be doing it. I mean, yeah. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, right, you know, I've got this podcast at the moment. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just just under a year into, into starting this podcast. And, you know, within the first maybe six or seven months of doing it, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here having a conversation with Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, so, I mean, the people you've had on are, it's unbelievable. I know even last night you, you sent into the, you know, on the, the MSC group about, about Jack Wiltshire. Like, you know, that's a, that's a England, that's a former England international, like, you know, mm. playing in the Premier League for many years. Like, and again, you, you just took that leap of faith and, and you, you just, you just roll with it because like you said, it, it doesn't just come, it just doesn't just come knock on the door for, for those 90% of people. The 10% that are lucky enough that, like I said, they know someone or they, um, you know, they played or whatever it is, all those things that, you know, sometimes people get frustrated about. But unfortunately, that wasn't me. I wasn't in that percentage of 10%. So what what did I do to go out and, and put myself in the shop window? And I'll be honest, what I used to do is I used to go onto club websites and I used to try and work out who the head of coaching was and I would just try and email them. So let's say like it was, um, you know, at Tottenham Hotspur, be Alex, I just type in alex.catini at tottenhotspur.com and I'd send them an email and I'd just see if I could get any replies. And that's how I got in at Brentford. And that's, I remember one of their website, um, it was um, Ozzy Abanje at the time and Stuart English, who Ozzy's now doing some consultancy work and Stuart, I think, is now at Sunderland, I believe. Um, he, was at, he was at Birmingham for a long time. Um, and and he, all of a sudden I'm sitting there one day and I get an email back and it was Stuart English saying, yeah, you know, let's have a, let's have a zoom call. It wasn't even zoom at the time. It was Skype. That's how long it's going back. Do you know what I mean? It was a Skype call. 
and uh, and I went on Skype with him. And next thing I was over at um, Uxbridge High School in their dome observing, taking notes and all that sort of stuff. And and again, similar with, with the Spurs stuff, um, a friend of a friend of a friend who, who knew one of the guys who worked at Spurs, you know, I just asked if uh, he wouldn't mind mentioning me saying there's a, you know, a young aspiring coach who wants to come in and just have a look. And, you know, and I, you, you, like you said, you've got to take the initiative sometimes because, you know, there's, there's thousands and thousands of people who, who are looking for these roles. Um, and that's why when you're in them, you've got to value them as well. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's like being a, a pro footballer, you know, you, you don't value it. Someone's knocking on the door. They want your shirt. You know, someone wants your coaching position. Um and like, that's, that's, that's how I got in. But, you know, it wasn't, you know, I didn't just sit there and, and one day a, a whole host of emails come into my inbox, so, you know, asking if I wanted a job. I had to go out and take the game to them, you know, and, and put myself in the shop window and, you know, little things even as, 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 as basic as your, your general um, email structure or your, your, your manners and the way you approach and the way you, it's, it's huge, mate. It's, it's a huge thing. You know, first impressions, you know, someone is saying, you know, simple as good morning, you know, hope you don't mind me contacting you, stuff like that. It implies that you're not entitled. You don't feel like, because some people will take that the wrong way and they're like, who's this guy messaging me? I mean, it's li- little things that can, can almost make or break that, that opportunity. I think you make a great point that, you know, the, that first impression piece and just, just the way you, in which you articulate yourself is obviously a key, a key thing. And it's funny, we were talking about this off air around, how, you know, mm. some of the benefits of obviously going on a, a, a degree program or a master's degree program. And um, sometimes it's not necessarily learning new things, but it's just maybe how, how, you, how you structure it, the language, that it, mm. language that's attached to it and how that can have an impact, uh, you know, in different ways. So I guess, you know, from, you know, from your own journey then, You've had this experience, you know. You've made your, you know, you've made you made your steps into into the academy academy system, and um, you mentioned obviously that you know you've if you like the keys to, keys to the kingdom were there when you got your B license. Um, when was that, and how have things progressed for you since that since that time uh, in terms of qualification side of things? Yeah, so um, you know, I know you've we've we've spoken about this previously, you and I, and. Uh, you know, the FA always give you this, this roadmap, this, this, um, I can't remember exactly what they call it now, like a, an action plan. They call it the action plan, don't they? So, you know, and it's always, you know, in 18 months, you know, consolidate your learning and progress onto the, the A license, the, the AYA, whatever it is. For me, it's, that's, it's not been as simple as that. Um, I, 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 my B license was in June, 2013, I believe, or maybe 14. I can't remember exactly which one, but it was definitely June of, of uh, either of those. Cause I remember being on the assessment and, and it was absolutely boiling and everyone was, uh, everyone was in pieces after the three days. Um, but again, that was, you know, that's, that's nearly eight, seven or eight years ago. I'm sorry, six or seven years ago. Um, and I'm still not on the A license. Um, I completed my youth module one in 2012, youth module two in 2015, youth module three, 2016. And that was the assessed youth award, which is now all been consolidated into the, the B license um huge for me in terms of both formal and non-formal learning like I the the youth mod stuff or the youth award was where I am currently working was was invaluable the the sorts of things I took off of that and we again just previously off air we were speaking about you know the practice spectrum and the environment and all those those key messages the, the the player challenges and all them key messages that come off of those um but again, I'm, I'm not on the AYA. I haven't got my AYA still, so I'm still only a level three coach, and and that is still the 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 triple P dictates that that is what you need. You need B license youth award. So in that respect, I'm I'm fine. 
Do I personally believe that I could go on the A license and, and have a good go at it? Yeah, 100%. Do I think I would get the AYA? 100%. Um, and I hope that doesn't come across as, um, you know, as uh, big headed. Um, but I think it's access is, is huge. Access to those courses is huge. You know, the FA are inundated with, with people that want to get on them. The clubs can only put forward certain amounts of people. And obviously, with you know, I was meant to be on my way two years ago, but with the pandemic and everything else, it's all been put on, on hold. I'm, I'm hopefully going to get on it in September. Um, and that's why, again, it goes back to that, that informal stuff. Like you've got to keep developing away from those courses. So are you just going through the motions or are you really thinking about practice design? Are you really challenging yourself? Are you stepping out of your comfort zone? Are you researching away from, from your actual practice? And I guess that's why me and you are, are having this convo because, you know, we've got to know each other through our, our MSc stuff, through the master's program. And I guess the reason I probably embarked on that journey of, of the master's was probably because I felt frustrated that I felt like I was standing still. Um, and, and I saw it as a, as a development opportunity and, and to go, you know, I, I did an undergrad and I'll be honest, I, I struggled. I really struggled with it academically, um, you know, whether that was because it was too hard or it was too early in my, in my, in my journey or, you know, whatever it was, but, you know, the MSC stuff has been, you know, really beneficial in terms of, of like you, you mentioned picking up certain different or different ways of, of speaking or, you know, language or writing in a more structured format and all that sort of stuff. So, um, I think that don't people shouldn't get too tied up on, on the on the the sort of formal coach education qualifications because you know I know a lot of B licensed coaches that aren't as good as some level two coaches I know I know a lot of A licensed coaches that aren't as good as some B like you know the list, the list goes on um you know it's not necessarily a reflection of of how good you are and, and and what sort of coach you are you know nine times out of ten it's because of the access you have to, to those those qualifications hundred percent you know I, I consider myself quite fortunate in that you know, I've been able to go through the qualifications and you know, I've got my ALAS, I've got the advanced youth forward and I've, and I've had experience working down the goalkeeping coaching pathway and, and I've got my B licence in that as well. So I've had a, you know, I had a good range of experiences and it, I consider myself quite fortunate to be able to do that because I, I, I do understand and I've seen firsthand how difficult it can be for coaches to kind of, uh, one, uh, get an action plan which supports them getting on the courses, two, having that action plan and actually then being able to apply and get on the courses mm -hmm three then getting on the course and having having the funds available to pay for them because uh, that's, that's that's another i guess real challenge and obstacle for a lot of coaches when they're looking to kind of go down the maybe not just the a license route but even just the b license you know it, mm. even that's been quite costly at times depending on when and where you've maybe decided to go ahead and do that mm. but you know it's interesting you talk there about the, you know the undergrad and you know how to be struggling academically at that point and uh, you know for me i i didn't i, I don't have i didn't have an undergrad um, I've just come into this it's slightly different. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design, the kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite-only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st.
experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Pathway to you. Um, no previous degree. I never considered myself a real academic at all. Mm. Um, and I, I even came across the course and just stumbled on it by accident, if you like, uh, because you know I was coaching in an environment, of, you know, just two summers ago. Um, and, and, and the guy that I was working with at the time was telling me that he's doing his degree and he's, he's distance learning. And I think, oh, I wanted to know a little bit more about it. And, you know, he talked about um, some of the experiences that he's had in the course. And I thought, okay, that's quite interesting. You know, I'm really, I'm really interested in that. How, how'd you go about doing that? You know, what was, your, what was your undergrad? And he goes, I didn't have an undergrad. So mm. I'm, you know, I'm thinking, well, how did you get on the master's then? Uh, you know, at that time, it wasn't, uh, it was just, it just wasn't common knowledge to me that actually you can go ahead, you know, there's different routes you can do. It might be based on your industry experience and, and other things that you can kind of bring to the table, if you like. Um, so I applied and, you know, the rest is history, I guess. But for me, it's been a real challenge. And I've, I've really, I've really picked up a few different skills along the way. And, um, you know, one, the presentations, I think it's definitely helped me on that front. And I think that's kind of coincided with, um, you know, my, my role away from, anything else in terms of, you know, over the last couple of years been working in the coach education space and delivering and maybe tying in some of that stuff that, you know, we kind of touched briefly off, off air as well. Um, but also it is that it is maybe, you know, if we go back to the first module that we did, we had to write a blog, for instance. I was writing this blog, doing all this research, all these research bits and, uh, you know, I guess I was working in a way, I'm probably, you probably can relate, you know, you're working in a way that, you're doing this because it's just a gut feeling or it feels right to work in mm. a particular way. And there's some things that you kind of put in place or don't put in place because of the players in front of you and what, what suits them. And you just do it because you just feel like it's the right thing to do um, in that moment. Um, it's obviously, obviously then going through the whole process of this, you know, this masters and running through the, the, the blogs and doing the research pieces. I think actually this is, this is an actual thing. People have actually done studies on what I'm just doing anyway, but I just didn't, yeah. I, I just didn't know that's what it was called or, um, well, there was actually a reason behind as to why they do it this way. Um, but there's actually, you know, there's literature there and there's studies and there's data-driven data information there that supports what I'm doing. So I think it's interesting. It, it, that that bit is what is key for me as well. And the more evidence and, you know, you don't want to get too bogged down with all the data and all the evidence, but if it's there and to kind of stumble upon a way of working, if you like, that's been uh, researched and it's been you know, with a lot of rigor, I think is always reassuring. So, you know, just on that, I think it is definitely a qualification worth it, worth pursuing. I think you, you probably, you know, we, as challenging it might be and as, as, as educated and as experienced we might like to consider ourselves, there is definitely some skills that we can kind of pick up that maybe we didn't anticipate doing so. Uh, yeah, I think I think what, what it did for me and, you know, just listening to what you said there on it, as I think, like, it just, it just reaffirms or it, it does the opposite. It might actually challenge your own thinking in terms of like, well, I do this and I've done this for the last six months or, or eight months or whatever, or every session I start with mm. X or, you know, we begin with X, Y, and Z or on a Monday, whatever it is. But you almost, it, it sort of challenges, like it gets you thinking like, like why? Yeah. Like what, what, why am I doing that? What is the actual return? And like you said, you know, it's, it's actual statistics and proof that, that, challenges and gives ideas and 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 you know confirms through study and and figures and stats like what the actual benefits or returns of that were as opposed to just going you know what i'm going to do that because i think it works yeah so i think you got to, i think you've got to balance the, the two and we spoke about this previously about you know having a nice blend and being you know that just because you're 
really strong academically doesn't necessarily mean you're the best practitioner and and vice versa you know just because you've had a whole host of playing experience doesn't necessarily mean you're 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 the best practitioner either so it's about getting a nice blend and and i think the the course itself has has definitely got me thinking about why i do stuff and and what actually is the outcome of doing that like what are the the players getting from that based on the literature and what it suggests um you know so again it's it's just that that extra tool in the toolbox, you know, it's having that extra, you know, you think back to, you know, you're, you, you've, you're level four, you've got great experience with the AYA and the A license and B license, all of that stuff. They're not saying this is the right way to coach. They're just saying, here's a format, here's a structure, you know, whether it's a, a function or a, a pattern of play, or you want to go into whole part, whole practice or whatever it is, it's you choose which one you think is the best to use at that time. And, and you choose that information based on who's in front of you and what the needs of the players are, what the demands of the practice are or, or what the players need. Um, and I think the, the, the masters have been great for me in terms of that. It's, it's definitely, I'm not saying I was in a rut or going through the motions, but I'm thinking more now, definitely thinking more about what I'm practically applying. Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes it, you know, come back to the top of what you just said there, sometimes it is just reaffirming because, but you're mm. being consciously reaffirmed because actually now thinking, right. Do you know what? I, I do believe in this. I know why I believe in this, but is it still the best thing to believe in at this point? And those are when you start, you just start asking yourself different questions. You could become more curious, and I think that's that, that's what it's definitely uh, challenged me to do. And you know, in, in the same way as as for you, you know, I guess you know we're, we're talking about the experiences, the influence that the masters had on us. You know, if we go back to your own personal journey now, I'm just curious to know whether you've had any major influences, possibly in the form of mentors or. Or anything like that throughout the journey, or maybe there's some big key experiences that you've had, and where you've thought, you know, what actually that was a, that was a really valuable lesson for me. Yeah, I think I think there, I think we have to consciously bring ourselves to to be aware of of how many of those are around us every day. I think you know when you you often go into work, you leave work, you know, you go in, you deliver, you go in, you do whatever you've got to do, and when you actually think about, you know, there's people affecting you all the time, and there's people around you all the time. Um, you know, going back to that very early journey um, or beginning of the journey in terms of the two names I mentioned, both both huge in terms of probably the ones that that inspired me as as people that I almost thought, oh, that looks, I want to be like that. They they're making me, you know, they're seeing the game differently. Um, got a good friend of mine who works in uh, the US at the moment. He's in Portland, in Oregon. Um, he opened up his own club uh, coming up must be about three years ago now. Um, he worked with, with Dan Machichi at MK Dons and he was a big influencer for, for Joe, who's in the States. And, and then Joe was actually then a huge influence on me. And, you know, just the way in which he, he allowed for mistakes and the way in which he created a learning environment and allowed the freedom for the players to, to experiment and, you know, have almost that, that pressure off of them to, to try things and be creative and all that sort of stuff. And, it, it takes for coaches it, it's you know if you if you can't drop your ego when you're working with with kids I think you've got to really have a look at if you're in the right not particularly the right industry but are you within the correct phase so as an under 10 coach if I can't drop my ego on a Sunday for the benefit of those players I, I'm not suited to under 10s football in, in my opinion so he was really big at just you know 
showing me different ways in which you can approach practices and, and, you know, not saying necessarily completely disregard, you know, the scoreline and, and disregard the fact, you know, no one wants to turn up on a Sunday and lose. Like maybe no one wants that. You know, the kids don't want it. The parents don't want it. The coach don't want it. You know, none of us want to lose. Um, but understanding that, you know, there may be situations where you have to just give the player what they need in terms of their own development. And that may be at the, the detriment of, of the scoreline, for example. So Joe was, Joe was huge in, in that. Um, at Spurs now, obviously they've, they've moved on, but, you know, Chris Ramsey was, was a huge, you know, advocate of, of player development. He's now at QPR. A lot of his blueprint is still left um, in terms of the, the themes and the, probably the, the underlying sort of pillars that pin the foundation phase, particularly within practice design and, and, you know, what we ask of the players. Um, obviously the effect of, of John McDermott, who's now at the FA, um, John Allpress, who you may have come across as we got time working with the FA, I'm sure. Um, you know, he's, he's always one that, that I've always, whenever he speaks, I listen to and I try and pick up as much as I can. So, I think all those those people are, are influencers, but you know, I, the, I do an age group with with a guy called Trevor Dubry, who's um, who's older than me, but he's been around a long time in terms of football age, and and he, you know, he he has so many different little qualities that you you pick up off of, and um, you know, you've always got to have your own identity and and your own ideas, and you are who you are. There's no, you know, I'm a big believer in there's never a, a right way of of doing it. You know, if me and you put on the same session, we'd have it, it'd be look different. It would look a lot different. We might get to the same end outcome. Um, but I think it's it's important that you you try and tap into knowledge like as as much as you can. And and those are ones that just stick in mind for for me, um in terms of like their ideas and and, and what I've I've seen them implement. It's just off the back of that, what would you say one of your biggest challenges in your journey? It might be something that you're still dealing with, to be fair. And, you know, if it is, you know, not fantastic, but it's good that we're aware of it. And, you know, if it is something you're still currently dealing with, what are your plans to kind of get over it? I think a few, great question, great question. Um, I think the first one was that initial access to, to, to like the academy world and, and not necessarily even the academy world, but, but just earning enough money to, to survive and, and, and get about what you wanted to do, you know, with, but still doing what you love doing, you know, let's be honest, football, unless you're a professional footballer or, or a first team manager or academy manager or whatever you are in senior rank, you know, money within sport is, is not easy to come by. You know, you have to, and, and at you know, the amount of people that probably drop out because of that, it's just not sustainable. Um, so for me, it was trying to break down that barrier of um, being in football, but being able to survive off being in football as well. And, you know, I'm very fortunate now that I, this is my sole income. This is my living. Um, but my, my coaching journey has always been accompanied by something else, you know, whether that be, um, you know, I worked in an office for a little while. Um, then I was a, a primary school um, TA for a little while before sort of becoming like a head of PE at the primary school. Then I went into secondary school. Then I delivered on a, a college program for three years. So always trying to support the coaching through something else has, has always been a huge challenge. Um, and like I said, now I'm very fortunate that I'm a full-time member of staff now in football. Um, but again, don't let that deter you. Try and get your balance right and, 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 um, and get that. 
that's probably one of the biggest challenges. Um, a challenge that I've always faced has been going into environments where you don't necessarily hold any playing pedigree um, in terms of, you know, for academy football, you're surrounded by ex-pros, you know, and that can sometimes be at your detriment because, you know, if you haven't played 300 league games, uh, you know, sometimes you're, you're not held in as high a stead as perhaps others, um, but you can't let that frustrate you. Um, that's something that's ongoing always. You know, you, you look across academy football, yes, you know, you just got to go through the clubs and look at who manages who. You know, anywhere above 16 is usually an, an ex-pro um, or maybe someone that's been there for like, you know, 15, 20 years and has somehow got themselves up the, the ladder, which is a, a huge credit to them. Um, YDPs are predominantly full of, of ex-pros. Um, so not becoming frustrated for me is always a challenge and just going in, doing what you're good at, enjoying it um, and, and being patient. And, and you know, we live in a society now where we get what we want immediately. You know, if we want a new car, we can go out tomorrow and go and get one. You know, if I want a, a new pair of trainers, I can go on whatever website and buy them, probably put them on like a little finance deal, or whatever. So we're a society that gets what we want and we get it immediately. But I think, you know, you've got to be prepared to do the graft and do the hours and, and you know, work four, five, six seasons with the, the nines, tens, elevens, and all of a sudden the 15s coach leaves and you might get that little break and then you're in and, you know, you can't become frustrated by um, things that, you can't control the uncontrollables. Um, and then finally, we've already touched upon it, is the, the frustration of, of probably every year knowing that when that A licence application comes back in, you've probably got the old, sorry, there's not enough space for you. You know, you've not been deemed high enough. And, and again, just, just being patient and, and waiting. And, and, you know, as long as you're doing the right things and you're progressing away from those formal uh, coach education courses, it will come. It will come eventually. So I think they're, they're my, they've been my three biggest challenges, um, all very different in, in different ways. Um, but three that and, and, you know, two of those that are still ongoing now, yeah. even, in, even in my day-to-day stuff now. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's a couple of things I want to kind of touch on there. First of all, is that um, that piece around that informal learning in the informal CV. If you, you know, I guess, you know, you're looking at your current circumstances, you're trying to get on the A-license, uh, maybe not been given that opportunity yet. Obviously, you're doing the formal qualification in terms of your master's. What are you doing informally around that to kind of support yourself in your development, uh, maybe outside of internal CPDs at the club and things like that? Yeah, so the the internal CPDs are always always great. We're lucky that John's still John's still around. John will press does some stuff with, with the club still. Um, I try and get around the older groups as much as I can. So I try and you know go out and watch the the 15s, the 16s, the 18s, the 23s. Um, you know, there's a whole host of experience within the club who who work with those groups, um, picking up ideas. Um, we're very fortunate now that we've got so much access, even, even this, like even this podcast, like even if I look down the people that you've had on, you know, you've had, it was, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, you had Paul McGuinness on, who's, who's, who's huge. Um, there's loads of content, good content. You just got to go and find it, um, whether that be in the form of a podcast or, um you know, Twitter, you know, loads of people have coaching accounts and all this sort of stuff. What I would say with that is 
just be conscious of that you're not taking everything as gospel um, because although there's a lot of good information on the internet and on social media, there's also a lot of stuff that can confuse you. Um, you know, you just got to scroll through and, and have a look at that. So don't get too, you know, um, bogged down by all these ideas, all this stuff that, you know, you think is, this is, this is it. This is everything. This is what I need to be. Have your own identity, have your own ideas, have your own beliefs, read stuff, take it away. This is what I do. I read things. I think, you know, I like that. I'll try that. Did it work? Did it not? Not sure on that. Um, you know, so there's, there's so much out there, but you just got to sift through it and kind of decipher what you believe is, is good and what, what isn't. Um, but, you know, I would encourage young coaches to get on the FA stuff. You know, the talent ID level one is free. The playmaker course is free. Um, you know, the, uh, particularly I, I had to do a load of these last summer because I didn't, re- I didn't have enough hours to renew my B license, but I didn't even realize that was a thing. Um, I, had, I went on like 10 of those FA webinars over the course of the summer because I had to get loads of hours. Um, and then again, some, some top people on there who just give you little bits of information from, from different environments. So for me, it's, it, it, it's really hard, mate, to be honest, because you've got to have a life as well. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's, it's a real hard balance between working. You know, I probably do anywhere between 45 and 50 hours a week, I reckon. Mm-hmm. And then I've got a part of, you know, I've got a girlfriend, you know, we, we start, we're looking to start a young family, um, you know, like you, you want to go out, you want to chill out, you want to watch Netflix, you want to do all the things you want to do. And, you know, you just, you can't just be like a robot and sit there all day and just, you know, go on the internet, on the internet. So it's about getting a nice balance. Um, done a lot of reading through the lockdown, um, read a lot of, of books, football and non-football um, so I read Potch's book, I read Guardiola's stuff, um, Ferguson's, um, some of the traditional ones, like I'm sure you've read like Inverting the Pyramids and um, No Hunger in Paradise and that sort of stuff. And, um, but I'm, at the moment I'm reading Matthew McConaughey's book, um, which is again, non, non-football, but, but a real, real interesting read. Um, he obviously comes from a highly, com- uh, highly competitive environment in terms of his, his profession. Um, I try and get a lot from other sports. I think some of the American sports are great in terms of not necessarily your content, but, you know, building character and, and how they manage and deal with emotions and players and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, for, for me personally, I just try and do it as and when I don't have like set time in the week where I go right now, CPD time, but I try and, you know, just get around around as much of it as I can, and you know, even chat, even things like this that we're doing, you know, having a chat and just bouncing ideas is, it's all it's all beneficial, um, and I think that's where for those those coaches and me included, you know, just because you're not on the A license doesn't mean that the learning stops. You got you got to keep yourself busy. Hundred and ten percent. So you guys, you know, on that, you know, you talked there prior around some of the challenges and the frustration that you face. What's a bugbear of yours when it comes to coaching? You know, we've all got them. Um, those moments where you look at coaches and why the hell are you doing that? There's a, there's a, there's a few. Um, for, for me, it's, um, again, the ego thing, the idea of that you're more important than the players. Um, but again, I think that the environment dictates that. You know, a lot of coaching practice, I think, is based around fear fear of perhaps the authority at the club so do you want to be running a practice that looks like an absolute shambles when the head of coaching walks out of the the door 
because you know to the to the eye that probably the, the initial impression that I think that gives is what is that like what what are they doing so one of my bugbears is that people feel they have to coach and deliver how others want them to as opposed to what or how they want to um you know for me messi is good you know messi creates so many outcomes is there is there a time for for organized practice 100% you know does it depend on the group you're working with if you're working with 10 kids who are complete loose cannons and you give them more fuel to the fire then you then you you might be in trouble so you might have to restrict that based on other circumstances but you know for me i try and and have as much chaos going on as possible loads of outcomes um so so one of my bugbears is when when practice is robotic and it just looks like we're moving from this to this to this to this um and, and that's probably my my main one and, and probably the other one that gets me the most is when people are ignorant to other people's ideas i think you, know, you talked there about that robotic piece and you know working out the best way to work with players and i think something that kind of stands out for me on that is what coaching actually is now for mm. me coaching is being able to do and say the right thing in the right way at the right time to the right person and you're only going to know that by asking certain questions now the types of questions i mean i'm challenging people to maybe start to think about and ask it is first of all how often have you actually or have you ever actually asked your players how they want to be coached mm. How, and, and, and then following up from that, if you have asked them, have you actually taken on board what they've said and actually implemented mm -hmm. that? Because that that in itself is going to inform it, inform how you work, and dictate how you work. And I think you need to know those things so you can understand what's the best way in, in getting things out of this place. Now, sometimes you might need to guide them and support them in in helping identify what that looks like, because they might have only been used to one way of coaching and never experienced another. Which is why I think it's important, even in that process, to maybe say to the players, right, I, I'm aware that these are the experiences that you've had before. These are the types of uh, coaches you've come across before. However, I want to do things slightly differently. Here's the reason why. Mm. Have that conversation with them so that you can you can actually make it a collaborative uh, journey, if you like. And I think that's a, that's a real mm. key piece. Um, but Alex, I am conscious of time, and I'm going to start to wind down now. You know, I'm just curious, last, the last couple of questions for you, you know. Just on, just yeah, just on that. I think that is that's huge, and I think it takes a coach to really be confident in their ability to almost hand over that that to the players, because you know we're traditionally taught that I am the coach, you are the player. I tell you, you listen. If I'm right, I'm right. You're wrong. Whatever you know, there's no. It's not a two way street. Um, a great story I've read about Ancelotti was that before the FA Cup final in, I think it was 2012, I think it was, he, he it was Paul Clement that told the story. He, um, I know we're talking about, these are professional footballers, it's slightly different to, to younger kids, but he had a, the team meeting about how they were going to play. And he said, right, how should we play tomorrow? And you had like, you know, your Drogba's, your Lampard's, your Coles, SEN, you know, Czech, all those, all those huge players, Cavallio, and they went, we're going to defend like this. We're going to attack like this. This is what we're going to do. And then he just, he uh, wrote it all down. He put the pen down and he walked out of the room. And all the players were like, where's he gone? And he was like, that's how we're playing tomorrow. Like he used them. He, gave, he asked them. They gave him what, they gave him the answer. And I think, you know, with, with the players, like, you know, you've got to be consciously aware of that, what 
is it is it actually going to be beneficial practice? Because they might say, we want to do crossbar challenge for an hour. And then yeah. you've got to be then able to decipher if that's beneficial. But I think it's it's a huge tool if you're willing to do that. You get yeah, the buy-in, you know? Definitely agree. I, I just, you know, you, and something you said, that is these are professional players. I don't think it matters what level they play at. I mean, I, I can speak from my own experiences having worked with players in the past. For as, as a team talk, as an example, right? Half-time team talk. I've got a few things that I might want to cover, but I never actually off- offload that. Mm. I always ask the players, well, what do you guys think has happened? What's your observations? And then uh, what, what I might do is I might split them up and have have them in their units. I've got the defenders, the midfielders and the forwards. Uh, goalkeeper might join them with the defenders as an example. And I'll ask them, well, what was your observation? So you know, give me a breakdown in position, out of position, what are your thoughts? And you know, from there, I've got a list and I think, right, okay, well, they've mentioned that one, they've mentioned that one, they've mentioned that one. I actually don't need to say anything. Because mm. they they're already aware of it. They've done, might, it. they've done it I'm for like, you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They've done it for you. I might probe on it mm. and ask them, right? Give me a bit more clarity on what, what you're saying there. What's your what's I guess to gauge what their true understanding is about the point that they've made, um, and how it might impact on the game or whatever. But they've done my job for me to an extent. I'm just now, mm. but, but but I think part of that is the confidence piece, but also part of that is actually trust. Yeah, you're trusting in them. You're saying, right yeah. now, I want you to come up with the answer because I believe you've got the answers. And I think that again, that comes back to the confidence. I'm so confident that I'm doing my job effectively that I can leave this for you to yeah. do, and not feel that. You know, one of the biggest ones for coaches, I think, is they they have to feel like they have to, you know, consistently drive and commentate and you know, go and do this, do that, do this, do that, and 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 there's that fear factor of just stepping back and just being quiet mm-hmm. for a little while. You know, and you know, you you often see a, a session at the very beginning. It's it's quite chaotic, and the, and the reason for that is because the players are trying to work out the challenge that you've presented them with. Yeah. But people will often jump in so early and go, "Stop, stop! This is a mess." You know, and well, let them have a go. And it's it's that fear factor that you said yeah. about how how are they? How does the coach feel they're going to be judged on that? You know, they've got to be confident in themselves because someone will go, "Oh, he let the kids do the halftime team talk." You you know what you're doing. You've got your plan. Yeah. There's there's a plan to the to the you know to what you, you're you're going to do with them, and mm-hmm. that's that's a huge a huge. If you can do that, then you know you you've, you're halfway there without doubt. You know it's a mm-hmm. great way of doing it. And you know you I want to take you back on something you just said. You talk about jumping in early, and I'm speaking of jumping early. You know you're still relatively young, got a lot of experience under your belt. So having had those experiences and working across different environments, you know in in different countries. If you had the opportunity to go back those 13, 14 years at the start of your journey, what would be a message that you'd want to give yourself? I would be very different in how I viewed. So, so one of my, and I'll be open to this, one of my biggest fear factors as a young coach, and I'm sure others would relate to this, was, was parents. You know, I'd always think, what, what do the parents think? You know, what, what are... What, what do they think I'm doing here? And, and nine times out of 10, the parents don't really know what you're doing. They're, they're not clued up. You know, it's, it's not their profession. You know, I remember having this chat with my mum. I was probably about 21. And I said, mum, can I ask you a question? And it was, I said to her, you know, when, when, I, when you used to take me to football, or I said to my dad, you know, when you used to take me to football, you know, what, what were you looking at what the coach was doing? And she was like, no. She said, I just used to look at how you were acting, how you were behaving. Were you happy? Was the coach... Um, did the coach have a, was the duty of care towards you correct? And I think as a young coach, that that intimidated me a lot. Um, and I guess that links in again to what we were just saying about, you know, I spent many years, particularly when I first went into the academy environment, you know, you feel like you have to prove yourself, prove your worth, you know, prove why you're there. Even though my credentials said I was good enough to be there, 
Um, you know, I would, I would perhaps sometimes conform to, to what I believed was the right way of doing things. And I'd, if I could go back, I'd probably just try and be a bit more honest to what my own beliefs were, because now five years down the line, I'm still doing what I thought was correct even now. But I wish I'd have just done it a little bit earlier instead of having to feel like it needed five or four years to to establish my, myself enough before I started to do it. You know, yeah. does that make sense? No, you know, like you use the term fear factor, and I think it, I was having this conversation with someone over there. Sometimes it's just getting the ball rolling, press it. You know, just taking that first step is all you need to do. It's all you need to do, and the longer you think about it, if you think about it as a mountain, as an example. You know, you're standing at the, the bottom of that mountain thinking, right, I've got, you know, I can get over this. But the longer you think about it, the, actually, mm. the bigger the mountain starts to become. Yeah. I think yeah. you just get that step and see where it takes you. And I think that's that's probably a key message I'd probably take away from what you've just said there, Alex. You know, I guess, you know, again, just to wrap up then, you know, where does Alex Katini go next? You know, you're working in the <laughs> academy, you're trying to get the A license, hopefully you get that this time around. But what's next for you? Where do you see yourself going next? And, you know, what's that journey look like for you? Great, great question. I, I probably, I would say I don't have a definitive answer. I'll, I'll give you obviously what, you know, what I'm thinking right now. I think football will always, you know, your ideas change so, so regularly. You know, if I'd have said to you two years ago, you'd be doing a podcast, you'd have said, yeah, yeah all right, mate, whatever, you know. Yeah. So you've got, you've got to always be open to, to new challenges. I think for me, I've, I've given myself, you know, the next, like I said, I'm 30, 30 in a, in a month and a half's time. I would like to have, you know, all my, my A license, my AYA by the time I'm, you know, probably 33. So I'm giving myself like a three-year sort of window, mm-hmm. um, which I think is is doable. I think for coaches, it's about finding your niche. And I believe it's about, you know, I I've, I think that your coaches may, again, a huge, you know, can of worms. But in this country, we perceive age group coaches to go in in incremental order of importance. So if you do the under 10s, you're not as important as the under 18 coach. And that's how we perceive it in, in the UK. And I, I think that's wrong. You know, when you go on the continent, they look at it differently. You know, everyone's is equally as important. So I think it's about finding your, your niche. Um, for me personally, I would always like to be involved in player development. I've got no ambition, no aspiration as it stands to go into a, a competitive environment where, you know, if I lose three on the bounce, I could be out of a job. Um, that's never been my personality type. That's never been, you know, what my aspiration was when I, when I got into coaching. Um, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to work across the nines to, to 13s, um, which is, you know, 77, 99. I'd like to have a little taste of 11 v 11 at some stage. So, you know, within the next three to five years, if I was, you know, able to get some access to the 14s, 15s, 16s, I think, you know, that would, that would be great. Um, so I think, you know, short, short, I well, say short term, short to midterm plan would, would be those. Um, and then, you know, long term, I think definitely aspirations to get into coach ed, you know, eventually, I think I've always gone on the basis of that when my legs give up, um, and I can't do as much on the ground actively. Um, I think, you know, I'd like to get into some coach education stuff and I'd also like to have a crack at being like a, you know, like a head of coaching or, um, you know, like a, some sort of head of football um mm. I th- and i think that's that's where i see my my journey going you know will it be at spurs i don't know um would i be um open to to move into another club you know if if the offer was right you know it's football isn't it it's the same as being a player you know you always dream of playing for 
um, you know, the, the team or where you're at forever and ever. But, you know, sometimes you've got to move on. So, yeah, I, I think I think that's where I would I would see myself going. Um, but it, I'm not in a rush to get there. I'm not in a rush to get there. I've given myself three years. If it takes five years to get the A license, then, then that's that's the way it is. You know, mm. it's you can't constantly be be living on on deadlines all the time because otherwise you just set yourself up to be disappointed all the time. Hundred percent. I think that's a great great message for people to kind of look, look, latch onto. Um, Alex, on a final note, then sixty seconds. Leave the listeners with a golden idea. What is it? Oh, great question, mate. Feel honest. Um, experience get yourself as much as you can um don't be afraid to reach out to people never turn down a uh, an opportunity um, anything that arises have a go if you fail you fail you never know you might think i really like this and it always opens up doors speak to as many people as you can come across the right way um reach out you know i get loads of people on linkedin that reach out to me i always try um some people will be listening to going oh you didn't reply to me but um, I always try to to get back to them as much as I can, even if I can't help them. So a couple of people messaged me in the pandemic and said, you know, like, can I come in and observe and stuff? I said at the moment, it's a, it's a categorical no, because, you know, the, the restriction on staff is huge. So I think for me, those are the, the key things. Um, and you've got to just keep enjoying it. You know, like at the end of the day, if you work in football, you know, you're in it because you, you love it. So just just enjoy it and uh, and good things will happen eventually. Awesome. Alex, just, uh, you know, just to wrap up then. You know, we've had a really enjoyable conversation today. I'm sure the listeners and viewers will feel the same. And if there was anyone that wanted to maybe touch base with you and find out a little bit more about you and your journey and anything that we've discussed in this conversation here, is there somewhere they can do that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Always happy to to uh, for people to reach out and, uh, and and ask anything or, you know, bounce some ideas. Um, so, yeah, I'll join me to follow. I can follow up with you guys with like a, uh, an email or something yeah, like that. Yeah, just, um, if you're, I don't know if you're on social media at all either or, yeah, I'm so I don't have a I don't have a Twitter football page. I came off there, but I'm on LinkedIn. So you'll just find me as uh, Alessandro Catini on LinkedIn. Um, really happy for anyone to, to reach out to me on there and uh, and and have a, and have a chat and, and discuss anything that we might have touched upon in this. Challenge anything, you know. It's always open forum. Awesome. Well, Alex, thank you again for being with me today. Um, guys, make sure you get in touch with Alex. Get in touch with me. Let me know your thoughts and take care. There you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.